you take your Bible today, turn to the second Corinthians chapter four and five. That's going to be our text for today. And uh, last week we continued talking about this, this sermon series. It's called Rewind. We're going back and revisiting some of the things that we may have learned in our younger days. At least that's the way it was for me as I would be in Sunday school, I'd be in church and we talked a lot about the, the future. We talked about the coming of Christ. We talked about heaven and we talked about eternal things. And so today we're going to continue that. And um, last week we talked about heaven. And first thing I want to say is I hope that that message and those words and the scriptures that were shared brought you some hope and some comfort as we look forward to heaven. And um, if uh, you didn't get to hear that message and you'd like to, you can go online to clearpoint.org and you can listen there. We're also um, on iTunes. We have a podcast. You can search there and find us and download those and listen to them in your car. And uh, I want to invite you to do that. But today I want us to look at another issue that many people have questions about. And all through the Bible, you'll see language that points to a future judgment. And today we're going to talk about Judgment Day. The day that we stand before God and give an account for our lives. Now, before you get up and leave, um, just hang with me, all right? Because when we start talking about the judgment and future things and standing before God and giving an account, an account of our lives, that can incite some fear. It can uh, raise our blood pressure a little bit. It can cause us to close our ears and not listen to what's being said. Um, but today I want you to sit here and I want you to, I don't want you to be uncomfortable about, about the judgment because there is a way that you can survive the judgment. All right. And so we're going to talk about that in a little bit this morning. But as we dive into this, it can cause some worry. And the reason it causes worry is because of a prominent belief that Judgment Day is going to be doom and gloom and about death and it's just going to be a, a day of destruction. But that's not necessarily true. And today my purpose is to show some, some meaning and truth behind what the judgment is. To help us understand who will be the judge at the judgment and then to talk about what will happen there. And then I'm going to share with us how we can prepare and be ready for the judgment. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5 is going to be our main text for today. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul wrote these words to the church in Corinth. And he was addressing a problem that was prominent in that day. And there was a lot of worry. There was a lot of trouble. There was a lot of stress. How many of you dealt with stress this week? How many of you have trouble in your lives? How many of you are finding it difficult to just like find joy right now? Well, that's the way people have lived all throughout time. People have struggled through life. Life is a struggle. Say that with me. Life is a struggle, right? Do you believe that? Do you experience it? It doesn't always have to be that way, though, because this is what Paul was saying. Paul was addressing this issue because there were there were tests, there were trials, there was temptation and there was persecution. And by persecution, I mean that people were suffering, even even losing their lives because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And his goal was to help these people look past their circumstances and to get on the positive bus. All right. We want to be on the positive bus because life can drag us down. And it's not it doesn't take a whole lot of energy to get dragged down by things that happen in this life. And when we get dragged down and what I mean by that is we get our focus off of the main thing and we get our focus on the things that are happening to us in life and we get overwhelmed by those and we get defeated by those and we have no happiness and we have no joy. 
But Paul is saying, hey, we want to we want to look up because I know this life can be crazy. But there's something beyond this life that we want you to focus on. Hey, listen, there's something more than a border crisis. There's something more than a Mideast, Middle East conflict. There's something more than a struggling economy. There's something more than that. There's something more than sickness and pain. And we want to get our eyes on that. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, this is what he says. He says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So he's saying there's nothing on this in this earth that can compare to what we're going to experience in eternity, in glory. That's what he's saying. And as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And then in chapter 5, he says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed. And by tent, he's not talking about a regular tent. He was a tent maker. People in those days, they were they were like nomads. They traveled. They, they didn't have a permanent structure for a home. At least not everybody did. And Paul was a tent maker. That was his business. And he was he was talking in a language that they could understand. He was trying to connect with them on their level in their context of life. And he says that this earthly home, this tent, our body is going to be destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So he's saying that this life is temporary. That life is eternal. For in this tent we groan, longing to be to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. So he's saying that we're going to put on a different kind of body when we get to heaven. There's going to be a spiritual body that we're going to have that that the soul, the spirit will, will live on and we'll get a different a different dwelling, a different body. And then he says in verse four, for while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has who let me back up. He who has prepared for us this very thing is God and who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. And so write this down, if you will. It's our introductory lesson today is that every experience in this life is preparing me for eternity. Every experience in this life is preparing me for eternity. And we keep this in mind in light of the judgment. The way I live my life matters. Do you believe that? I believe it. That the way we live our life matters. It matters here and it matters then. It matters at the judgment. And so question number one is what is the judgment? Well, he said right there, we're going to stand before the Lord. We're going to give an account for how we have lived our life in the body. But the answer to that question is that the judgment is a time when we will stand before God. We'll give an account for how we lived our life on earth. And there will be a reward that's passed out there at the judgment. And we hear a little bit about this as we as we live our life. And maybe we don't know all the details. And I'm going to share some of those details with you today. It will happen after this life, after we die 
or after Jesus Christ comes back to receive his church, to go back to that place that he has prepared for us. And we'll stand before Christ before we enter into our eternal state of 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 being forever and ever. And it says that we will be judged for every deed that we've ever done. Bible also says we'll be judged for every word we have spoken. Look at the person next to you and say, "Uh uh-oh. Uh-oh. Hey, that's what I said when I started reading this and studying this week because, hey, that's a big uh uh-oh. I've said some stuff. I probably said some stuff about you. Hey, you've probably said some stuff about me, too. Let's just be honest. We're going to be judged for those things. We're going to be judged for how we treat others, but by our actions, our deeds, our works, our, our words, those things we're going to be judged for. And it says that we're going to be judged for every wonderful thing and every woeful thing that we've ever done. And so in the very last chapter of the Bible, Jesus said in Revelation 22, verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. And so... That is the answer to the first question as what is the judgment? It's standing before God and giving an account. Question number two is who will be the judge? Hebrews 10.30 says that the Lord will be the judge, that the Lord will be the judge and he will judge his people. And we know that through scripture we read that, that, that Christ is going to sit on the throne and we're going to be judged by the life of Christ. Christ is our standard. Did you know that? And he was perfect. So who can measure up to that? I mean, it can cause a lot of frustration in life trying to measure up to perfection. But that's not exactly what he expects us to do on our own. But we will be judged by God. And everyone knows that what a judge does. What a judge does is a judge gets all the evidence. He weighs what he sees. He weighs the truth of that evidence. And then he makes a decision. And that's what's going to happen at the judgment. And God is that judge. And I believe that religion has played a huge role in forming that that um, image of of what God is and what kind of judge He's going to be. I mean, here's the picture. Uh, you may have already seen that. Can you go back? That's kind of how we see God sometimes. Is God is this guy sitting on the throne with his gavel in his hand, pointing the pointing the finger, just ready to unleash wrath and fury on people if we if we mess up. But I let's get rid of that picture. Let's erase that picture because that's not who God is. That's not who God is at all. However, God is a judge, but the Bible says that he is a just judge and he is a lawful, righteous judge who is angry with the wicked every day, but he saves the upright in heart. That's in Psalm seven. Bible also says that God is truth, that God is faithful and that God is love. And so I choose to believe that that's the kind of God and that's the kind of judge that we're going to stand before to be judged of the life that we lived here. Now, question number three is, what's going to happen at the judgment? Matthew 25 answers that question pretty clearly. It says, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations... And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom for you uh, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
And so the sheep represent believers, those who are genuine followers of Christ in this life. And then you have the goats that represent the unbelievers, those who were maybe they even resembled a believer. Maybe they even did some good works in this life, but they were not necessarily a genuine believer. They weren't a genuine follower of Christ. And he says that those are the goats. And then it says that he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, when he's talking about this part of the judgment, he's saying that believers are going to stand before him and they're going to receive a reward for their faith and how they served on this earth. And then there are going to be those who are unbelievers who just relied on being good and being successful and and just trying to live a good life. And those are going to be separated to the left and they're going to be cast into the lake of fire or what we know as hell. Okay? Did you notice what it says that, that the lake of fire was... Did you notice that it says that it was prepared for the devil and his angels? God did not prepare hell for people. However, God gave man a free choice, a free will, that we can choose whom we're going to serve. And if we choose to follow Christ then we can go to heaven. If we choose to not follow Christ, then what we have done is we have chosen to follow the ways of the world, the ways of the flesh, ultimately the ways of the devil, and we will go with him in the end. Because it's a choice that we've made. God is not a a condemning God. God is a just God. God weighs the evidence, and he says, this is the choice you've made. Here is the reward for your choice. So that's going to be the judgment. The last question here, is this. How can I make sure I'm prepared for the judgment? 2 Corinthians 5, 1-10, through 10, we've already read it. But in those days, Paul was addressing these people and he was looking forward, he was pointing them toward their heavenly home. That is our hope. That's why that's we are living this life preparing for the next life. And we'll get really, really down and depressed if we just think that this life is all there is. I've worked with people, when I worked in a secular job right out of high school, I worked with a lot of people who are from different countries, and I, man, I was trying to win everybody to Jesus in those days. Man, just, I was witnessing to everybody. And I'd have these guys tell me, they'd just laugh in my face and just say, hey, this is all there is. This life is heaven. And I'll say, well, then what's hell? Hell is when you die, and you're buried in the ground, and that's it. Just doesn't seem to measure up to me. I mean... That would seem like heaven sometimes. Amen? I mean, just dying and resting and just being done, just that sounds like heaven sometimes. But he's clearly stating here that there's something more, that eternal life is going to swallow up this temporary life. And and that's what he's sharing with these people. And he's saying that he has a desire to go there. And he says that he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. He who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Now, what he has done is God has established a relationship with us. Did you know that God is pursuing a relationship with you on a daily basis? God is pursuing you. God wants you. He wants to have you. He wants you as his own. And he it says that he gives us the spirit, the Holy Spirit, as a guarantee. And now what happens here is is that Jesus Christ came and lived on this earth to prepare the way to heaven. Jesus died. And when Jesus went to heaven physically then that was the day that He revealed to us and poured out His Holy Spirit to dwell with us and comfort us and guide us through this life. 
And he's by saying that the spirit is our guarantee. It's a really interesting thing because the word for guarantee in scripture is the same word that we use for earnest money or an engagement ring. Can you get the picture? Jesus is pursuing us. God is pursuing us like a man is pursuing a woman. And like this man wants to marry this woman, <clears throat> and if you're not married, here's the first step. You go and talk to her father, okay? You go and talk to her father, and you get permission. At least that's the way we do it. Right, Hannah? Yeah, that's the way we do it. Hey, if you want to date my daughter, you got to come talk to the father. We've been through that. It's pretty awesome, by the way. You should try it. You go and talk to the father and you get permission. And then what does the man do? The man goes out and he buys a ring and then he takes a risk. And he he goes to the woman and he takes this big risk and he, what does he do? Gets on a knee, takes her hand, and he says, will you marry me? And that woman has to make a choice. She has the free will. She has the right to answer yes or no. Yes or no. It's a choice. And she makes that decision based on what she sees in the man. By his character, by his nature, by the relationship they have. Do I want to spend the rest of my life with this guy that loves me and that I love? Or do I want to spend the rest of my life with this jerk? And some ladies have to ask themselves that question and they still say yes. I don't understand that. But in turn, she says yes, and from the day she says yes, everything is different. She lives her life in hope of one day being the bride, one day being the wife, one day spending the rest of her life with this man who is pursuing her and who loves her and wants to care for her and cherish her. And it it changes everything about her, and she begins preparing herself for that day. And everything that she does, every action... Everything is about that coming day. The ring is the guarantee. Now, we know that in the real world, it doesn't always work out that way. They don't always make it to the altar and they don't always get married and it doesn't always last forever. But that's the picture. And so as we live our life, we live our life from the standpoint of the woman. Because Christ is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. And He has given us the guarantee that we will one day be His. And it should change the way we live our life. We should live our life by this, saying, He has given His heart to me. I want to give my heart to Him. I want to please Him. And that's what we live for. So the Holy Spirit is the down payment. It's the pledge. It's the earnest money. It's the engagement ring that we will one day, as the bride, be married to Christ. And that's what we live for. Verse 6, he says, this is what Paul says, So, in light of that hope, we are always of good courage. In other words, we have hope. We don't get distracted by the daily grind or the trouble or the negativity of life. We get on the positive bus and we have that hope that one day we'll be with him. So what does that mean for us now? If I know that one day I'll be judged for the life that I live on this earth, then I commit my life to Christ now so that I'm ready for judgment day. And that's number one. 
is that I commit my life now so that I'm ready for judgment day. And then I rest in that promise. I rest on his grace. I rest on that guarantee and on that commitment. And so a commitment is a pledge. It's a guarantee that because he has given his life for us, then we give our lives to him. And there's confidence and security in that relationship. And Romans chapter 8 says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. Amen? That's our hope. That's our promise. So if you have given Him your life, you've surrendered your life, you have confessed and repented of your sin, and you understand that it's only by the blood of Jesus that you have any hope of eternity in heaven, then you belong to Him. And everything's good. Amen? Can we move on? Okay, number two. Number two. Paul says that while we live in this life, we're, while we are at home in this body, we walk by faith and not by sight. And there's a, there's a good question that we can, uh, that we can ask ourselves from this passage. Listen and you'll find it. It says, yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home in the body, we make it our aim to please Him. Okay? We make it our aim to please Him. So, how do we please God? Does anybody know? How do we please God? Because a lot of people live their life trying to please God. And when we say the words we shouldn't say, and we do the things we shouldn't do, and we go to the places we know we shouldn't go, and when we hide things we know we shouldn't hide, and we keep secrets we know we shouldn't keep, then we feel like then we're not pleasing to God. Well, there are a lot of other questions that can flow out of that, but here's the answer to that one basic question. How does a person please God? Well, the Bible says to live by faith, because without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's what it says. It's impossible to please God without faith. And there are two sides to the faith coin, okay? First is believing faith. It's that faith where you say, you know what? I've, I've been living this life on my own. I believe that God provided a way. I believe that Jesus is who He says He is. I believe He will do what He says He will do. And I believe that, and I put my faith and my trust in Him. That is believing faith. What, the, what, what believing really means, it means to bow the knee. He says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord, right? Isn't that what it says? One day every knee is going to bow. It would be a lot easier to bow in this life than in the next one. So we bow before the Lord and we confess Him as, as Lord and God and we submit to Him. And He leads us and He provides the direction and He calls the shots and He makes the decisions. And we obey, we follow. And so that's the first side of the, the faith coin. The second side of the faith coin is a pleasing faith. It's a, it's a faith of deeds. It's a faith of works. It's how we live our life. And if I'm guaranteed heaven by grace, why does the way I live matter to God? And here's, here's why. Remember, God's the judge. And God's going to gather the evidence and He's going to make a decision one day. And here's why the works matter. Because the works are the evidence that determine if my faith is real. It's what's going to allow God to see that, hey, His faith was real. How do I know that your faith is real? Well, God looks at what came, what became of your life. What did you produce? What did you do? Whom did you serve? He says 
in Matthew 25 that he's going to gather the nations and he's going to separate them and he's going to say the ones on the right that, you know, you are, you are the, uh, you're the sheep. Enter into my eternal kingdom. Inherit the kingdom of God. And we're going to say that what, what did we do to, to serve you? And this is what he says. He says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. Then he's going to go to the ones on the, uh, on the other side, on the left. This is my left. It's your right. I understand. Okay. So on, on the left, and he's going to say, hey, when I was hungry, you didn't, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me to drink. And when I was naked, you didn't give me clothes. In other words, you didn't serve. And I believe that there's going to be a great, there's going to be a great day of excuses. Well, well, I, I, I did, I did this and I did that. Contrasted to the other side, the sheep who are going to say, when did we give you food? And when did we give you water? And when did we clothe you? You know what he says to those on the right when they ask that question? He says, if you've done it to the least of these, then you've done it unto me. And so Jesus looked at the works. He looked at the things that flowed out of a confession of faith, how we live our life. And so how we live our life matters. And this is what James says about it. James says in chapter two, James chapter two, he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And what that tells me is how I live my life on earth is a big deal. That working or without works, your faith is dead. And without working, pleasing faith, your believing faith, without, without the working faith, your believing faith, is, it doesn't exist. And so what he's saying is, is that the works are the evidence that determine that your faith was real. There's so many people who try to do the works so they can achieve a good status with God, so they can please God. And it's like you're going up the hill and you get to that last stretch and you look up and there's a 40 foot cliff that you'll never be able to climb on your own. And you're left stranded. The other way is you come to Christ first and the works flow from the source downhill. There's no striving. There's no worry. There's no fear. You just produce because the Spirit's in you and the Spirit of God produces those things in you. Am I saying that you do the works to save yourself? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if you have real faith, it will produce works. And the works will be presented as the evidence for the faith you have in Christ. So that's why the works matter. And to give us an idea of what those works should look like, the Bible gives us this. Galatians chapter 5. Apostle Paul says this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. The works of the flesh are evidence that you, you have faith or you don't have faith. 
And then he calls the works of the flesh what they are. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Before you leave and walk out on me, give me, give me time. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you here, alright? Because this right here can cause a lot of stress. First Corinthians says this. It says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. You used to do those things, but you've been washed from those things. If we look at those deeds and we say, hey, I've done that. Oh, I've done that. I've done that. Holy cow, I've done that. Oh, my goodness. I've done, I've done all those. Anybody, anybody say, hey, I've done all those. Yeah, nobody wants to raise their hand, but hey, we've done, we've done pretty much all of those, right? And here's what he's saying. He's not saying if you've ever done those, you're not going to go to heaven. What he says is, if those things characterize you as a person, if I look at you as a person, and I think of a word that characterizes you, then I'll label you like that. If God can label you like that, and say, that's, that's who that person is, that's how they live their life, then you've lived your life in the flesh, and you'll not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he says... In Galatians 5.22, that if the Spirit is in you, you might have done those in the past. That might be in your history. People might accuse you, and the enemy, the, the, the devil, Satan himself, is going to bring those things up, and he's going to cause you to get all uh, worked up about that junk. I know, I've been there. I deal with it all, all the time, every day. But every day, you've got to take those thoughts captive and come back and say, hey, this is who I really am. This is who I am. I'm in Christ. I've been washed from that stuff. The blood of Jesus has cleansed me from all sin. And I stand complete. And I stand innocent before God and His Son, Jesus Christ, because of His grace that He has poured out upon me. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that it's by grace we have been saved. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. It says that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. And here's how it's produced. Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy and peace and long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there's no law. Let us also walk in the Spirit. And so the nature of this kind of message can cause a little bit of discomfort. It can cause us to get a little bit antsy about, hey, how can I... Be sure. How can I be ready? How can I be sure that I'm going to survive the judgment? Well, first, you've got to commit yourself to Christ. And second, you have to walk in faith and aim to please Him in everything that you do to make sure that when the evidence is presented, that He sees that you were in the faith. And so where does the, where does the judgment actually begin? Because... We want, to, we want to begin with the end in mind. We want to live for that day. And Paul says that we have to take inventory of our own life. And I'm sure that as I read lists, 
the list of things, these flesh things, these spirit things, we start to think, oh, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that. Our mind just starts running and shooting all different directions. We're taking inventory. But then Peter says this in chapter, 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 17. He said, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God and it begins with us. It begins with us. The truth is, it begins with each and every one of us, not judging the person sitting next to you, but judging the person who is sitting in your seat. That's where it begins. Paul says, let us examine ourselves to be sure that we're in the faith. And the best way to do that is when we take communion together. Because we do it in light of what Christ has done for us. That's how we do it. We, we examine our life, but we examine and say, hey, am I really in the faith? Do I really believe in Christ? Is He really my Savior? Is He really my King? Is He really my Lord? Or did I just say a prayer so that I could feel really good about heaven one day and then never experience change, never really give Him my heart and begin to live my life like one day I'm going to spend eternity with Him? Today we're going to take communion together as the body of Christ. And first thing that we do before we partake is we spend a little bit of time in examination. And you can bow where you are and you can pray and you can spend time confessing to God and working through the things you need to work through with Him. You can come to the altar and you can pray. I'll be here. If you need me to pray with you, I'm going to ask that after a few minutes of prayer by yourself that our prayer servants, our prayer team will be available. And then after you have prayed, you alone or you with your family, you can make your your way to one of these tables and partake of the juice that represents the blood that was shed for for Christ or for our lives by Christ. The the blood is what covers us. It's the payment for our sin. And we do this as a representation and a remembrance of what Christ has done for us. The wafer, the bread, represents the body that was broken, that, that body that, that died and was crucified, that life that was given. And the body and the blood are those things that represent what Christ has done to save us and to give us hope and to make sure that we are prepared for that judgment. And if we can help you make a decision today to follow Christ, to repent, to confess, if you need, if you have questions about that, let us help you today. As we partake of communion, we ask that, that if you are not yet a believer and you're still struggling with that, you can come and pray, but you make the decision yourself, but don't take, don't partake of the, the elements unless you are certain that you are a Christ follower. And we also do not, um, we don't encourage that, that kids come and partake unless they have made a decision to follow Christ and possibly have followed in believer's baptism. But you as the parent make that decision, okay? But today is a day of examination. Am I prepared for the judgment? Let's pray. Father, today 